uh, as some of you guys knew from our last episode, we did mention that Luke Perry had suffered a stroke and was hospitalized and we were sending our best wishes, but unfortunately, Luke Perry did pass away and obviously we are so saddened to hear this and we are sending all of our, you know, love and sympathy to all of his friends and family as well as the people he's worked with. From every record, it seems like he was just the nicest, best man to be around and the world is definitely worse off without him. Rest in peace, Luke Perry. Hello and welcome to the Riverdale Recap Podcast. Today we'll be talking about the 14th episode of Riverdale Season 3, Firewalk With Me. I'm Mary Kwiatkowski and I am joined, as always, by the absolute delight, Kirsten McInnes. Kirsten, how are you doing? I mean, obviously I'm delightful, naturally. I, in the interest of full disclosure, need to tell everybody that I have been drinking some rosé today. I am absolutely nothing wrong with that. I had like a small glass of wine out of this bottle a few days ago, um, but now... The remnants of this glass are all that remain of the bottle, and I only was drinking it tonight. I'm a bit of a lightweight, so I'm like, not drunk, but like just tipsy. So people need to be warned that I will not be at the top of my game. Well, no, I think that we are now, everyone's going to expect this is going to either be the worst episode of the Riverdale recap or the best, so we'll see. I mean, nothing could be worse than season three, episode five, where we did not even introduce ourselves, and Rob Sesternino roasted me for it so yep yeah nothing can be worse than that uh except maybe just this episode of Riverdale in general which was I just so many times when I was watching this I had to pause it and just try to collect my thoughts on what I was even watching anymore so I was watching this at work as I do because I'm a professional don't worry I was answering my emails too it's fine and I kept like stopping and being like wait is this real am I having a fever dream what is happening like this was possibly the craziest episode of Riverdale to date. Yeah, I think it's close. Like, if it's not the craziest, it is top three for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's coming down to this one. I mean, the episode where Archie gets mauled by a bear, the first episode of this season. The bear was really a lot to handle. And there's just a lot. Well, let's dive right in. Let's start with the ever-classic Jughead voiceover, which is just him describing the Cooper household. He says, Mid-century colonial, on a quiet elm-lined street, three bedrooms, four baths, perfect for families. Plenty of storage and generous closet space. And then there's a huge pause with lots of dot dot dot. And really menacingly, he goes, "You will be happy here." I don't, I don't know why we needed that tone change. Like just the sentence, I could understand where he was getting at. But okay, I also don't know why, but I laughed so hard at Jacket being like, "You will be happy here." Just it was out of nowhere. It was so out of nowhere. And like I don't care to hear the description of this house because I'm not watching HGTV right. Right now, which like I love HGTV, <laughs> don't get me wrong, but like that's not what I'm here for when I'm watching Riverdale. But here's my question: Why do you need four bathrooms for three bedrooms? That is so luxurious. Okay, let me break it down for you. So you've got the master bathroom, I assume. That's fine. I'm pretty sure though that we have seen that Betty's room and Alice's room share a bathroom. Wait, no, maybe that's just in the fan fiction. No, gosh, now I'm getting confused. 
used Stop. again. No, because there was definitely there was definitely a scene where Chick, who was living in uh, Polly's room, I think I said Alice earlier. I meant Polly. Polly's room, like, went in to Betty's bathroom, and she's like, "Why aren't you using your own?" He says, "Oh, the water pressure's better in here," or something like that. So I think that there are there is a bathroom for each of the bedrooms, and then I guess maybe like a downstairs. But like, bathroom? why does the downstairs bathroom have to be a full bath? Why can't it just be a powder room? They don't need a well, shower say, down there. Maybe they were just using shorthand. Maybe it's actually three and a half bath. Well, I want the facts and only the facts, and I'm disappointed if that's not the case. Having this discussion also gave me a great idea for an off-season podcast, although Riverdale doesn't really appear to have off-seasons. But like, pretend that there is an off-season for a second. I really think we should do a podcast ranking all of the Jughead voiceovers at the beginning. Okay. Now, I'm in, but we are going to need our very own Mike Bloom also. So, we still have had no volunteers for the Mike Bloom of Kowski cast, and I feel a little attacked. I thought that people cared about us more than this. Yeah, well, we're taking submissions. Whoever wants to be the Mike Bloom of Kowski cast. Yeah, you'll get to do off-season ranking podcasts. What more could you want? I know. Well, we'll find one. So basically, the only qualification here is that you need to have watched Riverdale. Actually, you don't. You need to just have watched all the Jughead voiceovers. Well, how are we going to find someone who's listening to this episode who has not watched the show but has listened to all of the voiceovers? That could actually be a very fun podcast for a secret special guest that we've talked about before. Oh, that's true. Just like if we were to make like the audio or video whatever of just sending those and be like we're gonna talk about the series holistically and here's the voiceovers this is all the information you get that could be fun that's pretty good i you know what? i think that would be fun i don't hate it so send it to samoa maybe the secret special guest will have to try to guess what happens in the show based around just the yes voiceovers. yes yes oh my god we're so smart i'm liking this idea i love it okay, okay well, put it on a post-it somebody... note and make it canon yeah i need to write this down somewhere because i'm probably not going to re-listen to this podcast to find that out or remember it. Okay, moving on from Jughead, let's go into the Veronica section, which is probably the most standalone of all of these plot lines. Uh, the other ones, for once, actually kind of blend into each other, so that's good. It was crazy. Back. Intertwined plot lines, the characters talked to each other. I know, I'm shocked. Veronica didn't, though, really, so. No, Veronica's separate. Basically, Gladys and Hiram are both just, like, hanging out at the speakeasy all the time, and yes, I'm gonna keep calling it that, I can't stop. I also, just for the record, would like everybody to know that Mary spells speakeasy s-p-a-k-e-e-z-i-e i mean how else are you gonna spell it i don't know like speakeasy no this is this is how it's pronounced so i'm going with this anyway hiram is hosting some prospective clients there and they're racking up a huge bill but the thing is he's talking about how he wants to get it comped because veronica owes him a lot of money i don't really understand this because i feel like comping is when you get something for free but like if she owes him money then it should just be like this should be like take it off your tab yeah take it off your tab basically so like she doesn't have to owe him as much money that makes sense this doesn't make any sense it's not like hey you owe me money so now i'm just gonna do whatever but also as we discussed last week she doesn't owe him any money and like obviously we went into the whole like details of who owes what money last week and people can listen to that episode but like the other thing that i really was struck by in this scene is he's like seventy five thousand dollars now in the world of drugs i don't think seventy five thousand dollars worth of drugs is that many drugs like it's a lot of drugs it's not insignificant but it's like when you look at like a big drug bust it's like 
way more drugs than that. So, like, hire him a small fry anyways. Like, maybe it's probably cheaper for him to make it than it would be for, like, people to There's buy it. There's no way that he's charging her the bulk cost and not the street value. I, I see what you're saying, but you also have to think about it. They have to make the show realistic enough to where a, like, teenager could possibly pay this debt off. Because the other thing is, uh, Gladys, you know, she owes money to Gladys and we'd have never gotten the dollar amount of that, but I assume it's also probably around $75,000. Like, might be yeah, a little bit less. because she only sure. owes it once. She doesn't owe, she doesn't have to pay twice for the same drugs. Um, I know, I'm still kind of confused because I feel like everything got out in the open last time. I'm not sure. Like, if anything, Hermione owes him that money because she, like, already paid it to the governor. I don't, I don't know. I it's, just truly, but here's the thing. You said something about Riverdale needing to be realistic and I blacked out. So I'm a little confused at where we are at this point. What really matters here is in this scene, we get the American excess reference, which right. we would have never realized was a duplicate reference if we weren't currently recapping Riverdale season one, also on Cast. This happens and we hear like a clatter in the back, which like seems like it's dangerous. And then Veronica's like, Reggie, watch the bar. I'm going to deal with this. And I'm like, why do you have Reggie? Like, what are you? He should go deal with this. Not only that, but she tells him to watch the bar. He's behind the bar. Like, what was he going to do? Reggie, like, yeah, he man was already the watching the bar. <laughs> like, what? I don't know. I don't know. So basically, she owes a bunch of money. And so Veronica needs to pay off this debt. And she decides, hey, how did I make a lot of money before? Oh, yeah. Casino night. This is not season three, episode seven. Why are we going back to these old plot lines? We already did this. Yes, but it is again. season three, episode 14. So every seven episodes, we will get a casino reference from here on out. And here's the thing. The casino night, like, she ended up outsmarting Elio and getting what she wanted, I guess. But like, she very nearly lost everything the last time she tried to do a casino night and I don't think she should be trying it again like can you please have an original idea Veronica I don't I don't like the whole casino like I like casino plot lines in tv shows but not when it's like piled on top of illegal speakeasy and stuff anyway in like such a ridiculous show like this whenever the casino comes up it just reminds me of the show Vegas that was like Mm -hmm. that existed so long ago and it just like randomly got canceled at the end of season three like it just never got renewed and there was like a pregnant woman and I want to know what happened with that baby and like Josh Dumal was in it it was actually like a really good show guys so everyone should definitely watch that and but Riverdale is not Vegas and I'm not about this real Riverdale for sure Hot take, my favorite casino night plotline of any show is in the online web series Job Hunters. Feel free to look that up. There's a great casino plotline in that If for anyone who's interested. Uh, It's done slightly better than Riverdale and it was made by a much smaller budget and is not even on TV. So I recommend that. Something better than Riverdale? Sounds fake. (laughs) However, for casino night round two, first off, what is like, why does Veronica have a staff of maybe eight or nine people? working there in addition to Reggie she does not need that many people to run one tiny little speakeasy but how does she have the money to pay for these staff the whole point of starting the casino night was that she needs more money so she can pay stuff off like I assume these staff already work there I assume they're already part of the speakeasy why does she have that many staff for the speakeasy if Reggie's already manning the bar it just doesn't make sense and then also she's supposed to hide her entire casino operation in like three and a half seconds which I don't know how that's seems fake it's just ridiculous and then the other thing too is she says things like like, we're already running in a secret speakeasy. Veronica, every damn buddy knows about your speakeasy. It is not a secret. <laughs> You're the two least 
secret things in Riverdale. One, the speakeasy. Two, the bang bunker. Everybody knows about them. Everybody. There are more people in Riverdale who have been to those two locations than haven't. So stop pretending these things are secret. And stop pretending that just the casino night is going to be like some huge crime operation when you already are selling alcohol to minors. Yeah, it's it's just trash. Like, plus the police is FP. Who knows about the speakeasy? Yeah, it's just an illegal underage speakeasy and nobody knows about it. (laughs) Excuse me. Everybody knows. I'm sick of this show treating us like we're stupid. Yeah, so Hiram finds out. Like, immediately. Hiram finds out about the casino in approximately two and a half minutes. Yeah, because he has a camera in the Veronica portrait. We just haven't talked about that. But, like, we know. Speaking of which, is that on the canon list? Because it should be. Let's add that right now. Well, I feel like last time we talked about it, I was like, there's definitely something there. And you said, no, it would have paid off by now. But now you're back all in on the camera. We know. We know. So there is a camera. (laughs) Guys, I just wish everyone could see Mary's face right now um, because she's just so convinced and convicted and it's just wild. It's on the sticky note. So it's real, guys. It's official now. Confirmed. It'll be on the website soon. Which you can find the whole complete list of things that are canon on our website, KowskiCast.com, along with the close but no cigars and the cringiest moment and the realest person of each episode. Now, also, guys, just for the record, I don't have any control over what goes on the website. And Mary has put one thing on the canon list that is not canon. And it is that those security guards that Hermione had for a little while and Hiram had are the same person. Now, we've learned that they are fraternal twins. They're not the same person and they're not identical twins. So Mary needs to take that off the website. I think I think we all know that they're the same person. I would like you to never whisper into your microphone again. Thank you. <laughs> and goodbye forever. Veronica starts making deals with both Hiram and Gladys and it somehow convinces them both to shave off 5% of, their, of her debt, which by the way is not that much money. Like 5% of $75,000 is only through uh, 3000 which is not like I mean that's a chunk I guess when you say something like five percent but like she was probably gonna make more than that in the casino night anyway so not really sure why that matters but it happened and of course Gladys is going to give her this break on her debt because Gladys wants to perform at the speakeasy okay she sings it's like it's like fine like I didn't I didn't love the song or her voice but like it was kind of a nice to hear something different than just like the poppy stuff we've been hearing just her voice is great but it just doesn't go with the vibe of the speakeasy it goes more yeah. with like the south side pubs like i feel like she probably really slayed at karaoke night when the serpent zoned a bar yeah i think so and it like i don't know this whole scene they didn't confirm it but it really seemed like gladys and hiram had somehow like made this plan happen just to like get veronica mad or something where the guy like yells at her and doesn't like it and then he gets she kicked pulls out, out a knife know. she literally was like i'm gonna stab you and i think she should have been the one kicked out for that not this not the playing card mogul who is he's he makes playing cards for a living and hiram says hey my prisoners can make these playing cards for pennies on the dollar and we'll all make money and then my prisoners can make an income now i'm pretty sure that playing cards can be made mostly by robots at this point and i don't want handmade playing can you imagine if bicycle was like yeah our playing cards are all made by hand they are unique they are bespoke 
I'm sure that there's going to be machinery making them and these people are just going to be operating the machinery. Well, then when buying the machinery and crap, it's not even worth it. It's just stupid. Like, why? Like, I thought he was going to be like, oh, someone who makes playing cards is coming to town. Maybe they could be the exclusive supplier for your speakeasy and that will entice them to come to town. That makes sense to me. Yeah, I don't know. Veronica has, like, no incentive to help her dad out here. So I guess she's just siding with Gladys and that's why she didn't kick her out. But my favorite part of this whole scene is just the... Uh, playing card mogul calling Reggie cheekbones. I think that was the best thing that has ever happened. I mean, he does so. have great cheekbones, though they are not his best feature. Uh, no, because, but, I mean, look at his body. Well, while he's fully clothed, I think cheekbones was good enough. I mean, <laughs> sure, we can agree. Veronica just decides that she owns the place and she needs to get Gladys and Hiram out. I don't know. She spends the first half of the episode trying to protect them and then the second half of the episode, she just hires the pretty poisons and has them keep the people out like she hires them as bouncers i'm not really sure what the point is though because gladys and hiram both seem like they're going to ignore the bouncers until veronica comes up there and like speaks to them anyway so it seems like she could have done this job by herself i don't know she just keeps making agreements with people and then going back on it and making an agreement with a new person like i feel like there should be some sort of clause in the serpent's contract that says that she can't just hire another gang out from under them there need to be, like, contracts all over the place. First off, I didn't know that she ever got rid of the serpents. Like, when did that happen? And also, like, I hope that she's signing contracts with both Hiram and Gladys about all of their shady deals and all of the dropping in debt and when she's paying them off. Because I feel like they could easily just be like, nope, you still owe me $5 million. You're stuck with me for life. Oh, well. And uh, that was the Veronica plot line. So, you know. Yeah, it it's it just like. I don't care. I don't understand why business deals are made over milkshakes when it could be in her own, like, speakeasy. Like, I get she owns Pops, too, but it just, like, doesn't seem as real when they're in, like, a red vinyl booth when they could be in, like, a very luxurious, you know, bar space. And it just... Like, I don't care about this. Like, I think that's something we've established over the course of this podcast is that the more isolated all of the characters are, the less we enjoy their plot lines because it doesn't make sense. Because we're sitting here like, why is Veronica even here? What's the point? Yeah, there's that. And also, just like what you were saying about Pops, I... The, I don't like how the speakeasy is replacing Pops as the place where people meet up and talk anyway, because we spent so much time in the first two seasons saving Pops and talking about how important it was, and then they finally save it by buying it and then just, like, never spend any time there. I mean, I, I know you're gonna people are going to say, like, oh, there were, like, three different conversations in Pops. Kind of, but they just show it from, like, one angle on a booth. They're there for, like, five seconds, and then they leave. And where is Pop? Yeah, and, and mo- most importantly, like, Jughead is pretty much never there. You know? He was the one who wanted the place in the first place. I've still and never Jughead's seen... Jughead's a whole like, other mess. We haven't seen Jughead eat a cheeseburger, I mean, possibly ever, but if we have seen that before, it's been a very long time. The last time I can remember seeing him eat a cheeseburger is the first episode of season two. Yeah, it's been too I'm long. I'm sure he has since then, but, like, that's the last time I can remember. Well, that's annoying. So Betty's whole conflict revolves around Alice is selling the house and they're moving to the farm, or at least that's Alice plan. So Alice is selling the house without a realtor. So obviously she has never seen those commercials about what could happen if you sell your house without a realtor. Do you know what I'm talking about? (laughs) Yeah, but it's also like she's being so, I mean, it's not professional, but like she's got little like things laid out and I'm kind of sad we didn't see her like baking cookies in the oven to make the house smell good or anything like that. But it was basically that. Oh, Alice definitely had like wax melts to make the house smell like cinnamon or something. Like definitely. And it's just, I'm so over Alice not 
not being Alice. I know. I and miss I'm, I'm, her. I, like, we're getting farther and farther away. I'm sure that this is all going to come to a head at some point, and Betty is going to get her mom out of the cult, maybe. I don't know. I'm losing hope, but I think it, it has to happen. Like, we can't just, like, say goodbye to Alice forever. I'm really, like, we need her back. I want Alice in a red gown with a plunging neckline and a slit up to the thigh, walking in like a bad bitch who owns the place. I miss that Alice. I think part of it is that her being, like, stuck in this battle with Hal, like, even after they'd gotten a divorce and he had moved out, she was still, like, everything about her was sort of actively working against him, and you kind of need that motivation for her because the second that he came out as the Black Hood and it was like, okay, good by forever she needed something to grasp onto and that's when she went to the farm so i think she's just kind of looking she needs something to drive her forward uh betty on the other hand she's trying to sabotage this cell which i love so she's just like mentioning her serial killer father to all the people coming there which i don't really get either are these people from out of town like shouldn't they know about her father and what happened here you would think you would just do like a quick google search of the house before you go look to move in there and i know betty's trying to stop her mom but like why does Betty want the house like I, I I maybe it is just to stop her mom but you got to think that Betty would not want to live there anymore too after not only her dad but like everything that's gone on with the gargoyle king and stuff in that house it just seems like a place she might want to get out of I feel like it's also like that's like the space where they've been a family before and if Alice were to get out of the cult it's where they would all go like if this house is sold even if she manages to get Alice out of the cult they're gonna have nowhere to go and Alice is probably going to give all of the money from the sale of the home to the cult so i think it's just kind of like thinking ahead like if we get rid of the house we are totally screwed uh it just it's not great also hashtag murder house on elm street there's so many layers that I um then uh, for the first time in a really long time the gang all chills in the student lounge together and talks which like okay when did Archie and Veronica break up again and like why did they break up because now they're just kind of like happy hanging out with each other and there's no like tension there at all okay like I'm I guess I'm fine with it I just don't even remember like that they're speaking yeah because like the last we saw them like first they broke up when he went on the run and then he got attacked by a bear and somehow survived and why Walked home, and then he, she wanted to sing for him at his welcome home party, and he left. And then she broke up with him. And I don't think we've really seen them together or working together since. So it's not great. Um, but I guess they're just friends, which I mean, good for you. But I personally think after a breakup, you should take like a little bit more time. Yeah. But again, with these people, like clearly no one in Riverdale has cell phones or like social media because they're all sharing this news with each other that's happened over the course of the last several days or weeks or who knows how long. But they all just waited until this time to be like, yeah, my mom's selling the house. And people are like, oh, you can come live with me. And Archie's like, hey, I found a kid and I'm he's living at my house right now, too. And then they're talking about Kevin joining the farm, like all of this stuff that's happened. They've just been sort of saving it up to talk about. OK. That's fine. Yeah, it's very bizarre. And then it's like, I don't know. It's just like, have they talked about it before? And like, maybe this is the first time Jughead confirms that she can come live in the trailer, even though it's tight, which last I remember, trailer only has one bed. And currently we have FP, Gladys, Jellybean, and Jughead living in the stubble wide. So I don't really know where Betty's going to go. I highly doubt that FP would be okay with Betty moving in. Like, I don't think anyone wants her kids living in sin. Why don't they just move into the 
bang bunker. Like, that's so many people <laughs> in a tiny trailer. And I was just like, is it a clown car? Can- like, when will it end? Also, I'm just picturing, so let's pretend Betty moves in somehow. I don't know where she's sleeping, but let's just pretend she moves in with the Jones family. <laughs> I-, I think it'd be really funny to get, like, you can picture an alternate, like, sitcom, if this was a sitcom, of Betty moves in and her boyfriend, Jughead, who's always so tough around her, is just, like, such a mama's boy and is like, oh, mom, wakey, wakey, eggs and bakey. And, no, just wakey, wakey. Here's your breakfast. Yeah, because I feel like Jughead is definitely just like does whatever his mom wants. Anyway, so Betty confronts Kevin about the whole farm situation. He's just like, go away. And then she sees all of the farm people, which no longer does it say like farmies or like farm club. It says farming meeting. I'm sorry, farming? Since when is there like an ING on the end of this? It's bizarre. I'm sorry. I did not notice this when I was watching the episode (laughs) and I'm going to need you. So I'm sorry. It says farming meeting what are they talking about yeah. farming almonds I don't know. cashews apples what grows in riverdale I, other than yeah. maple syrup trees maple trees not maple syrup trees <laughs> maple syrup. guys i drink a lot of wine today okay it's it's all good yeah but they're all holding their hands over bunsen burners and it's kind of creepy but i do love betty's overalls in this episode so just shout i out to her love term, overalls, overalls so much Everyone should wear overalls all of the time. I only have overall shorts, but next time I have extra money, I'm buying full overalls. Yeah, I love these. They're like full length and they're corduroy Ugh. and they're orange. I think they're beautiful. She's worn them before, but I really I love think them. I had identical ones when I was like eight and I literally refused to wear them. And now I'm like, Kirsten, why were you so stupid? Betty asked Josie about Kevin and I like was half confused during this conversation. I'm like, why is she going to Josie? I completely forgot their parents got married and they, I guess, live together. So maybe she could, like, here's the thing did the kellers sell their house or did the mccoys sell their house because betty could probably live in one of those houses i'm pretty sure that probably they live where the mccoys were living just based off of that one scene i don't know why they would do that though and not just keep the house we still never seen any or heard anything from kevin's mom which i'm kind of sad about i really wanted her to be a thing even just to, like pop in and be like yeah okay yeah uh, signing the divorce just, like, papers like got remarried and now someone else lives in my house maybe i don't know well they mentioned divorce papers so hopefully it's all legal but betty ends up following the farm kids and she finds them out in the woods and they're doing a coal walk which like okay i mean i it, some of this stuff it's like i get why betty is not happy because they're clearly doing stuff that's semi-dangerous but like people can walk on coals like that's a thing they did in the office like can't be that bad yes that's the barometer for all things and eh, they did it in the office so i guess we can also stage a fake fire and throw a cat up into a ceiling to be fair to be fair i'm pretty sure they also had a casino night at the office in the office they so. definitely did um, oh my god right. wait that should not be my it's riverdale just the office but worse i think it is who is the michael scott of riverdale do you like michael scott i don't know do i like because I, I have a hard time deciding it might be archie it might be archie which is kind of sad but like it makes sense that archie is michael scott because it's like when michael scott leaves and they don't have a manager and it turns out everything's better when there's no manager everything is better when there's no Archie. Wow, that's a hot take. I think people did not feel well, no, the same way I don't, about the show. I don't mean the show is better without a manager. I mean the office runs more smoothly without Michael Scott oh, as a manager. Okay. I agree with that. <laughs> 
Just to clarify my hot office take. Yeah. Also, Betty just like runs in and is like, no, Kai, stop. Kevin, don't do that. It's like she needs to realize that just running in and yelling at them to stop hasn't worked so far. After this many episodes, you'd think she'd try something else, but she's just tried and true, still doing her same old, same old. My absolute favorite thing, though, is Kevin's like, you're just a detractor, Betty. And it's like, she is, but like she should be detracting because it is a cult. It's like, you're a party pooper. (laughs) I'm trying to think. I feel like detractor is like a very common cult term. There's a lot of really culty stuff here. Like in the next scene when Evelyn and Kevin confront Betty in the Blue and Gold office where she's writing an article about them, which like also took her long enough. I feel like she could have written this before. And she's writing about how the farm is a cult and they threaten to tell all of her secrets uh, because the farm knows all of her secrets based on stuff Alice has told her or told the farm. It's like, this is literally what cults do. Like, I I can't figure out if they're trying to deny that the farm is a cult or if they just like can't see it or if they just don't care. But that's like step one of cults is find out secrets that would damn any of your cult leaders from leaving the cult. But like, Betty's not in the cult. So why do they have all her secrets? Well, they have Alice. I don't know. Personally, if I were Betty, I'd be like, fine, tell them that my mom like murdered someone in my house like that doesn't hurt me at all not i'm not saying like throw your mom under the bus but also like i just think at this stage of the game when people are just running amok and committing committing crimes all the time and not getting caught for it like do you really think fp is gonna be mad about this no fp's just glad to have a paycheck to put food on the table yeah and i know that like fp is part of those secrets so i think probably the the wider reason why betty is like playing along is because she doesn't want to like let fp secrets out and jughead secrets out and Alice But what's is. gonna happen in FP? He's gonna get fired? No. Maybe. Well, also, like, is... Is FP, does he know about this? Because we saw one scene, I don't know, like 10 episodes ago of him telling Alice, oh, I'm so glad you joined the farm. You're all happy now and you will bang me. Yay. But like, is are they still together? Do we even know anymore? Because we, I have no idea. We have seen nothing. You would think he would be against Alice having told all of his secrets as well. You would so, think not he sure. would be against her giving all of her money to the farm. You would think, but it's really hard to tell. I mean, he's got problems. At like, home can't too, they so just knows. sell the double wide and then all of the the Joneses can move into their house? There's three bedrooms and four bathrooms. It'd be much plenty of bathrooms, much more comfortable. Yeah. So Alice sells the house to a quote unquote anonymous buyer, and this scene is both good and bad at the same time. It's good because she like recognizes that Riverdale is always being bought up by anonymous buyers, but she's not smart enough to realize like yes, and every time there's been an anonymous buyer, it's been Hiram. I just cry. I was crying laughing because she's like, yeah, it's just a typical Riverdale thing to have an anonymous buyer, and I'm like. It's, this is so stupid. And she's saying it's a typical Riverdale thing. Therefore, Riverdale is stupid. There it is. <laughs> Transitive property. That's how it, it works. It makes sense. The- and then Betty pulls a Cheryl round two and probably burns the house down with a candle. It's great. I mean, honestly, times. fine. Go for it. Betty doesn't have a great silk robe, though. So Now, clearly the producers of Riverdale have been listening to our podcast because they decided, oh my gosh, everyone hates Archie. We need to try and make him a little bit better. Let's give him a redemption arc. For this episode, were you, did you feel at all better about Archie in this No. Episode? Here's how I felt about Archie. <laughs> Why the hell does he think he can take care of a kid 
Why is social services giving Archie information on a child that is not his? And why am I supposed to care about this? Like, you can't do a full arc of a story like this in one episode and expect us to care. Like, but you this, can try. this should have been like a slow build for us to get to and it wasn't and I was mad because to me it makes it feel like they're treating us like we're stupid and we're not stupid maybe we're stupid for watching I don't know like I still get enjoyment out of the show when Archie's not on the screen but like this is so dumb yeah so Archie finds a kid yeah they just find a little curly-haired kid they're Archie and Josie are at the gym on their own going into like a secluded hallway. So I guess to hook up in public, even though they've been able to hook up without parental no, oversight. No, they, they hear a noise and they go investigate. Yeah, no, but they were already off on their own. They were going somewhere to hook up. They heard this noise. They were going to go to Pops probably. To have a milkshake when they could be having sex. Doesn't sound like right. Archie we, and Josie. We already, we already decided that's not what they do when they are given that option. Um, yeah, so it's just a little kid named Ricky, which like, I don't, the name Ricky just, I don't know, made it feel so fake. I looked it up. I couldn't find any Ricky in Archie comics. So they find him and then Archie just, I don't know, adopts him, I guess. And they take him to Pops and <laughs> he's afraid of some kind of shelter, the Santa Lucia shelter. Yeah. And so for that, I thought he was going to be like, I was at the Sisters of Quiet Mercy. Me but too. Then he wasn't. But no, there's other places. Although we find out later, like apparently the Santa Lucia shelter is actually like a cool place and like it sounds pretty good. And I, I think he, well, <laughs> it makes sense in the end. I, I, I don't think you can really believe anything Ricky yeah, was telling I think you. Ricky might have been running away from a good situation to a worse situation. Yeah, sounds like it. So Ricky also has a sacrifice brand on his wrist. And he says that some old guys, some older guys who were crashing at the shelter gave it to him. Yeah, turns out, spoilers, it's just the gargoyle gang who is like hanging out with him and tells him you need to kill Archie to avenge your brother or like finish the job we gave your brother. Joaquin, dun dun dun. See how I'm really speeding? through the yeah, Archie plot I line just, here. <laughs> where are Joaquin and Ricky's parents? And how come they don't have like, I feel like those Ricky and Joaquin, they don't go together. They should have had different names. Like the names have to go together, you know? Well, Ricky might be like a nickname. Like I feel like your name's Mary and your sister's name's Laura, right? Yeah. So like I feel like Mary and Laura are like similar levels of like normal, but not like the most common anymore. If you know what I we mean. We have very old. We have like old fashioned. But like old fashioned, names. but like not bad. Like there are bad old fashioned right. names. You have it's good old fashioned like, names. My name is like um Gladys. Yeah, that's good. Or Eunice. <laughs> Yeah, or something like that. But it, it, you're right. Well, they're also like uh, Little House of the Prairie names. That's not what we're named after. Just coincidence. Sure. That coincidence. Um, so like that makes sense. Whereas like my sister's name is Viana and my name is Kirsten. And so I feel like we both have like kind of weird, but not like the weirdest. No, but they're a little more new And they like go together. Yeah. And so that makes sense. Whereas like but Ricky and Joaquin If doesn't. my sister's name was Viana and my name was Jane, it doesn't make sense. And I feel like that's the same as Ricky and Joaquin. Like it just doesn't add up. No, they don't. But I mean, the whole twist of this episode is that they think they're helping this poor kid who is like trying to avoid the Gargoyle Gang when really he is trying to join the Gargoyle Gang for whatever reason. Not sure why. But he wants to. And he also like has a history of both 
violence and self-harm. So he pulls a knife on Archie and also admits that he gave himself the sacrifice wound and wrote his name on the list of sacrifices in the gargoyle hangout place that's really gross that we saw last episode. Which is also just the ghoulie hangout, right? Yeah. Like the ghoulies who then joined the gargoyles who are now serpents. It's all very confusing. So that place is like falling down and there's a shot. You have to pause it to really see, but I paused it on the list of names of the sacrifices and like half the list, it's, they clearly made it so that if you just sort of like looked at it really quick, you would be like, oh my gosh, there's all these sacrifices and look at all these names crossed off. However, more than half the list is all, all of the sisters from the Sisters of Quiet Mercy. So they're all crossed off. And then you have Joaquin crossed off, Ben Button, um, Dilton Doily. There's another name that I couldn't read. There was like a glare on it. So I'm it not really probably sure Ward and Norton. Is. Oh, probably Warden Norton. I saw a W, so I couldn't I couldn't read the rest of it. And then at the bottom, it has Archie Andrews, which is not crossed off, and then Ricky, and then it says D-E, and then the rest is like sort of the wall is kind of tear, torn up, so you couldn't read what the rest of it said. However, when I paused at that point, I noticed, because you see like Joaquin DeSantos and then Ricky at the bottom, like, oh, Ricky's probably a DeSantos, and then it's probably like going to be a twist, because they clearly wrote it in such a way you can't see. Uh, You are like literally Nancy Drew. I feel like I'm only half as good of a Nancy Drew as Betty though, because I figured out the DeSantos thing before it was revealed, but I didn't figure out that he was like working for the Gargoyle gang. Didn't get that bait and switch. So, oh well, uh, but it happens. And uh, Archie is still the Red Paladin and he finds a card that says, kill the Red Paladin. He also gets slashed by Ricky, which like I thought was going to be a lot worse, but then it didn't look like it was actually I mean, once you've been attacked by a grizzly bear, nothing a knife can do is going to be so bad. Yeah, and and uh, Fred is just a dream in this episode and helps protect him. And also, he's like he has a really selfless moment where Archie says, "Like, no, Dad, don't come in." There, but you know, he comes like, in anyways because he's a good dad. Like, I know he's just. The we best. can say whatever we want about like Fred's actions over the course of the series, but like he does want the best for Archie, even if that's not always what happens like as if he's gonna leave his kid when his kid is clearly like struggling he never yeah. would I, I didn't really understand though why the whole time that Archie's like hanging out with Ricky at his house and like playing video games why the lights are off like that's just setting that up for bad decisions also there the other confusing thing that I still can't figure out and if anybody has any brilliant ideas please let me know why did we need the long con of Ricky like pretending to be nice to Archie and like hanging out and like wearing his jacket and all his random crap when like he could have just like killed him from the beginning or like tried yeah, to or like didn't need to befriend I feel like him the first gargoyles have all of this cyanide he could have really done some damage there yeah let's just like you know dribble some onto his pizza or whatever or like unless there's gonna be some kind of plot line where he needed the jacket and we're gonna like use the jacket later the letterman jacket Ugh, sure. i'm so we'll sick of out. letterman jackets well archie doesn't seem to wear his anymore, yeah because he's so not on any that. varsity teams so if yeah, he were to wear it, it sure would look if he's bad. even at school i mean so. he left his sats so he's basically yeah, he was in the student lounge so there is that but man remember just think how different his life would be if he was just like not not arrested he would be president right now yeah wow Everything. he probably would have had a shot of getting into college or at least graduating probably. high school yeah i mean being student body president would have been pretty good the end of the episode though betty and jughead want to help archie with his whole issues of being the paladin versus the gargoyles and all this nonsense which i was kind of happy about like wow we're actually streamlining these plot lines a little bit together so yay. so yeah i'm happy about the plot lines coming together but at what cost you know, why are we all in on the Gargoyle King again? 
yeah, I kind of thought we were done with that, but, like, we still never really figured out. Like, that's the thing about the Gargoyle King. We keep getting, like, bits of information that sort of clear up some things. Like, oh, Hiram's involved with this section of it, so okay. And then, like, oh, the sisters are involved in this section. But then there's just a lot of random stuff about, like, there are clearly still lots of people, including grown adults, who are so into this whole situation and the um, ascension and the branding people and going after Archie and, like, where did these cards come from and I don't know. So there's a it's, lot of that. I'm just over the Gargoyle King. Yeah. Well, and luckily we can also be over Archie because that's the end of his plotline. Yes! Let's talk about the section that I just have labeled school gangs slash IDK what? Because I don't even know how to, like, I guess this is sort of the Jughead plotline, kind of. Yeah. It's also like so the Cheryl stuff. It starts off and the farming people and then Cheryl and then the Gargoyles gargoyles is that right yeah there's like i mean i guess they're the serpents now okay so the farming people cheryl and the gargoyles are fighting over a room as if it's the only room in the entire universe Yeah, I don't know why they all need this one room. Like, Cheryl says that there's, like, student council slash LGBTQIA stuff going on in there, but she's just coming in with the pretty poison, so I'm pretty sure they're just gonna, like, hang out. And, like, the farmies need it for whatever reason. I'm sorry, farmings. Sorry, the farmings need it. (laughs) I don't know. Like, the gargoyles Uh, already have, like, a whole crack house that they could go to, so I don't really know why they need a room here, but okay. I don't know. It's very confusing. And then Weatherby is just like, he's yelling at Tony and Jughead for this. He's like, you guys need to control your gangs. It's like, okay, so we're just fine with them having gangs and just hanging out at school. Oh, yeah. Okay. I'm pretty sure that like not one season ago, they were saying that there shouldn't be any gangs and then Jughead had to pretend that they were like a LARPing club or something. They weren't, yeah, they weren't allowed to wear their leather jackets, but now totally fine. And the great Hannah that we talked to on the season one recaps messaged us today being like, Tony's wearing a see-through shirt at school. Why is this allowed? And I replied, yeah, they don't care about gangs or see-through materials anymore because it's a whole new world. No, there's no dress code. It doesn't matter. I mean, there was like, I wouldn't care except that there have been whole plots with these exact same characters, yeah. like the exact mm-hmm. same principal, like kicking people out of school because they weren't dressed appropriately. Which is, okay, I have a question for you. Was a dress code a real thing at your school? I mean, we had, like, a very, very... Like, was it enforced? Like, dress code. I mean, yeah, like, it was basically, like, you can't wear shirts that have, like, you know, violent or, like, drug tones on them or whatever. Like, you can't come in with, like, weed paraphernalia on. Like, you're gonna have to take that off and change. And then, like, you can't... Yeah, you can't wear things that are super, super revealing. But, I mean, the thing is also, when I was in high school, like, it's not even, like, leggings were a thing. Like, those didn't even become a thing until, like, my senior year. So we had a couple discussions of, like... Basically, you just need to wear a shirt that covers up your butt and see, like, if you're wearing leggings. When I was in middle school, there was always the rule that your shorts had to be longer than, like, your hands. Your fingertips. Yeah, your fingertips. Yeah, that's, we had the the same rule. We had the same But then when I moved to Alberta and I went to high school, it wasn't a thing. People were wearing, like, short shorts all the time and nobody cared. Like, literally, I moved out of, away from Ontario into Alberta and suddenly detention didn't exist anymore. Dress codes didn't exist anymore. People were allowed to wear hats in school. Like, it was crazy. The only time we ever had a, um, dress code issue was all of the boys in my class decided that they were going to do something called wife beater Wednesdays. Hmm. So they would all wear track pants, Adidas slides with socks, and then either a wife beater or they could go to Canadian Tire and buy a t-shirt with wildlife on it. So like with like a bear with fish in its mouth or something like they were hilarious. And so they called this wife beater Wednesdays and all of the boys in my grade would do that, which was like over 50 people. And then one day... 
on a Wednesday, we had an Olympian come to talk to our school. Her name is Katrina LeMay Domes, in case people are wondering about if they like speed skating or whatever. And so she came to our school to talk. She is passing around her gold medals and stuff, like giving us a speech about like believe in yourself and work really hard and like you can succeed. And all of the men in the grade 12 class, and by men, I mean boys because they were children, were all wearing wife beaters and track pants and Adidas slides and socks. And then they were informed that wife beater went days were not allowed to happen again and that is the only example of dress code that I can think of from living in like going to high school and school in Alberta from 2005 to 2010 that's the only example wow like, it just didn't exist so like whenever I hear these stories in the states of like dress code being crazy I'm like it doesn't exist here the thing is like my opinion on the whole dress code situation is like it's I don't think it should really matter about the whole like setting limits to like must reach your fingertips or whatever because like some people have longer arms or longer oh my god yes like I knew someone who had the longest arms and it was like what she has to wear capri pants every day yeah so like it really depends but I think that it's like pretty obvious when it's like when something is inappropriate or not I mean maybe it's not like that this is like this is a very hot button issue so I don't want to act like I know everything no but it's it's just like how like there's things you would wear to work and there's things you wouldn't wear to work and it's not because something is promiscuous or not promiscuous it's like it's about like professionality not promiscuity yeah and so I don't like it when people are always talking about like oh it's distracting the boys or whatever like I don't think that that's not the reason that's not that's not why it matters that's not the reason for me it's just more of like you shouldn't wear something that your butt's hanging out of when you're in school because you just should because you're in school yeah because you're in school you're You're not at the club whatever but but like also I there's just so many other factors that have to go into it that I just don't really know for me I always just like I my parents gave me clothes and I wore them my shorts were pretty long anyway so it didn't really matter that being said though I will throw out one other thing my school was extremely into school spirit and so it was not uncommon to see people dressed up in like footy pajamas or like dressed like characters from Disney movies or wearing like head-to-toe camo for some kind of spirit related thing like we had so many sports that were like all the teams did spirit weeks before all their games and so maybe you have a game once a week maybe you have it like two times a week depending on your sport so like at the very minimum once a week most of the population of the school is dressed weird anyway and it's usually not the same day of the week so it's just constantly there's like 20 to 100 people dressed weird and I yeah I definitely kind of just got used to that and anyways this tangent went on too long and I'm really sorry about it but like also not sorry about it because I feel like I know you better now so great yeah we had we had we some had good great times. talk <laughs> good times so anyway, school gangs, they're just hanging out and Tony and Cheryl are still having some bumpy times in their relationship because they're kind of just like both. I don't think Cheryl actually wants control of the pretty poisons. I think she just doesn't want to be constantly yelled at by Tony for her bad decisions. But I also bad feel like she doesn't necessarily want control, but she doesn't want Tony to like have full control either. <laughs> Yeah, I think she will. She wants to say. Cheryl likes, like, well, I think that she likes being, like, the co-sort of in command, even though Tony's really in command. But, yeah, and we finally see her fight back a little bit when Tony's like, yeah, I'm going to have to kick you out if you keep, like, usurping me. And then Cheryl's like, oh, that's going to be super awkward when you're still using my house for meetings. Like, yeah. Yikes. Like, you don't normally see Cheryl play the, like, I have money card with Tony, but she definitely did there. And then there's a serpent meeting, and this just happens multiple times. I'm just going to sum them all up right now. Basically, there's several serpent meetings that happen in this episode with the new gargoyle gang. And they're creepy. Yeah, and they're just not, like, they're not getting along. I don't really understand why Jughead's even bothering. I mean, I guess because his mom is, like, making him. But I, 
I do agree that he needs more gang members. I don't agree that he needs these. He people. needs adult gang members, were, not well strung out I teens. Think, and the theory was like, oh, grab these people because they were in a gang and their gang sort of fell apart. Just grab people who weren't in a gang. You don't need to seek out people who are previously one because I just don't believe. Like maybe some of them, we saw like a couple of them sort of warming up to the idea of being a serpent. But like for the most point, or most part, Kurtz is not gonna like play ball here, and he just kind of gets like super uncontrollable he's still doing g and g stuff he's stealing equipment from the chem lab and probably trying to make drugs with them and stuff and then he almost kills fangs which is not cool he he's like holding him above the staircase and is about to drop him first off this happens while jughead is having a serpent meeting how did jughead not wonder where fangs was he literally has two og serpents and 50 percent of them were missing yeah i well and i think that's how he only has two og serpents left is he doesn't care where they are or what happens to them yeah so it's unfortunate but basically i do like the fact that tony was there which shows that she still cares at least a little bit about her serpent well, yeah they're her she family informed about it yeah i know i'm just waiting I, I really think like the whole gargoyle plot line is basically here to so that when it explodes like tony will come back to the serpents or they're probably going to join together and it's going to be called like the serpent poisons the or the poison, poison serpents serpent poison whatever pretty serpents serpents are poisonous too look guys we're a family okay whatever i also just cannot I hate that like anytime they say pretty poisons it's just it's not intimidating i you could have had such a better name whatever uh, yeah and so jughead talks to fp again and fp's like oh my gosh i know what we're gonna do and they have this great plan where fp as the serpent Emer- serpent emeritus did you know what emeritus meant no because i'm stupid can you explain it to me yes so the sir uh, an emeritus is basically like someone who had a position but they're retired from the position uh, like holding an office or something but they're still allowed to sort of retain their status and their honor so he's basically like an honorary king member like he still has some say he's kind of like when you talk about like the elders of things usually that's kind of like part of that as well Um, but in real life and not in gangs it usually is like you still call someone president even when they're not president anymore like Mayor McCoy like Mayor McCoy okay good to know now I learned something and Sheriff Keller and Sheriff Geller. <laughs> yeah. So basically, his idea is that he's going to deputize the serpents, which was giving me major Game of Thrones flashbacks. <laughs> So let's see how well this goes. Probably not that well, but at least Kurtz leaves, so that's fine. I um when he deputized the serpent, I laughed so hard that someone I work with came over to check if I was okay. Because again, I was watching this at my office. And now all it could remind me of is when FP did a performed a citizen's arrest. Yeah, like here's the thing. I, the perks he gives are pretty good, but they're really only pretty good to like people who actually care about school and stuff. The perks were that they're going to get paid, that they're going to earn school credit, be the eyes and ears in the community, and bring order to the serpents. So, like, yeah, I can understand why Jughead's into this, but they kind of forced everyone. They were like, raise your hand. They kept glaring at everyone. And, like, if you're being forced into agreeing to something, you're not all in on it. Like, they... Yeah, it was like, if it's not unanimous, leave the room. 
Right. And so, like, at least Kurt's left. And so, like, maybe some of these other guys are going to be, like, more tameable. But in the event that they're not, I, I just don't think this whole hand raise thing is really going to keep them in line just because they forced them to do I that. just can't wait for but... them to start doing shady stuff and, like, getting really into the drugs in the town. And, like, I don't know. It's just going to... Yeah. It's not going to work out. Like, this is just a not a smart plan. You can't just deputize teenage boys. Yeah. It was, uh... It was a time. So, that was this episode. Uh, let's go through a couple things here. First off, title of the episode, Firewalk With Me, is a 1992 movie that was called Twin Peaks Firewalk With Me. So, it is a Twin Peaks movie, not an episode of the TV show, like I originally thought it was, but it's a movie that came after the TV show, but is actually like a prologue. Yeah, the synopsis of that says, a young FBI agent disappears while investigating a murder miles from Twin Peaks that may be related to the future murder of Laura Palmer. The last week of the life of Laurel, <laughs> Laura Palmer is chronicled. I don't know anything about Twin Peaks, so that might have been I've spoilery, only watched but... two episodes of Twin Peaks and it didn't spoil anything. Sounds good. So that is where the title came from. Also, before we give our most normal person of the week, I do have to say we kind of forgot to do this last time. I had written down in my notes and we talked about it but just not on record so the most normal person of last week was Josie uh, for any of those who were wondering I do think that she is still probably one of the most normal people in the TV show at least for right now however I think the most normal person this week should be Fred Andrews what do you think? Yeah he comes in to save his kid very normal I endorse it. I, I just think when you look at everyone else too there's just no one who acts normal at all I mean you could potentially say the uh miss weiss the person who works at social services no, because she gives confidential information to someone who doesn't yeah. need to have it yeah i miss that we can't give it to pop anymore because he's never around fun fact though guess when the last time pop won uh the most normal person of the week was when season three episode seven. Oh, we <laughs> so. love season three episode seven here on kowski cast yeah so that's that's fun uh but but uh yeah so far fred has won it one time he won it season three episode three but he has not won since then so it's been a while it's been 11 episodes i think he can win again yeah no i 100 percent think so and so i'm glad that we you know figured all that out for last episode and this episode normal person we did have a close but no cigar because they talked about the american excess again yeah it's not a new one but so it doesn't it's not going to be added to the list but it did happen well so was it already that. on the list um it will be whenever i post the season one episode seven. Oh, which i am part way through editing so i don't know why but i thought soon. that we were behind on season one and that they had all been posted uh, whatever exactly. it, it'll end up on the list anyways and it happened and it's hilarious that is pretty much it for this episode it was a crazy one but we are looking forward to the next one when hopefully at least some of the these plot lines will be tied together a little. Uh, please. It seems like we had a potential Archie Jughead. Please. Betty thing. We need coming together. it. Yeah, so just Veronica's by herself, but like that was another thing. We did get, we got a message from Breathing Coot on Twitter this week saying that they think Veronica is slowly making their way up past Archie being the worst. What do you think? Care to say anything in response to that? Um, I think Veronica's plot line might be almost as bad, but I still like her better because Archie's trash. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, it's, it's, it's not close. like either are like, great though. No, but I mean, at least Archie was trying here. I don't know what Veronica is doing. He's She's going Andrew's back and forth. Man. She seems to have no plan. They try. Right. 
You're right. I mean, that's, we can't forget that those Andrews men just tried. Try so, so that's hard. good. Yeah. Okay. All right, everyone. That's it for this week's episode. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. And we'll be back next time for a recap of episode 15. Until then, you can follow me online at Frail Mary on every platform. And you can follow Kirsten at Kirsten Said What on every platform. You can also feel free to check out any of our other podcasts we do on KowskiCast.com. You can also, if you liked this episode, rate us on iTunes. Give us five stars. It really helps other people find the podcast. And then it gives us the incentive to keep on going if someone says something nice to us. Don't you want someone to say something nice to you? If you give us a five-star review, we will read it on the podcast and then compliment you. All right, everyone. Until next time. Goodbye. I almost burped right into the microphone. <laughs> <laughs>